Alrighty. Are you ready for the word? Let's pray and let's dive in. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, that there is power in the name of Jesus and that your word, God, is sharper than any two-edged sword that divides and challenges and corrects us and shows us what is right and what is wrong and what you desire. God, speak to us today, we pray. May your word be illuminated to our lives. May you open our ears and hearts to hear what you want to say, God, today as you use me. Anoint me for this task. Remind me of what I prepared. And may this message bring great change and transformation to every single person that's here. I pray that this, this day is this not, not another Sunday, but it's a day where each one has a powerful encounter with Jesus and that we will be forever changed in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, forever changed. Has anyone ever done anything really, really nice for you? And the answer is no doubt yes. How did you respond when someone did something really, really nice for you? How did you respond? Well, over shocked over the over, because you didn't expect it, no doubt, Charles. Um, over the years, I've had a number of people do a number of nice things for me. When I was 18 years of age, for my 18th birthday present, my, my mum and dad bought me a microphone. 18, I'm now 39, almost 40, 22-year-old microphone. I was in a rock band called Mad Hatter, and I was the lead, lead singer, and I needed a microphone. That, was, and that cost $200 present. Can you catch? It's like a hammer now. That's what it's really, really good for. Um, at Christmas time, I was given a, another present from my parents, a Shimano fishing rule, which was like a really, really cool fishing rule, which I'm wrapped in. My parents here today, by the way. Dad, they're out the back. Hi, Dad. Thank you for that present. But I... I reckon the, uh, the uh, best present that I was given was on my wedding day. Now you're going to go, oh, oh. I'm not actually talking about getting married to Michelle. Although that was a really, 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 really good, 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 good gift on the wedding day. But I, I want to um, refer to a gift that Michelle gave me on, the, on, the, on my wedding day, which I think was the best gift I was ever been given. Now at the time, it was 2004. And at the time, Darlene Check was the number one worship leader in the, in the Western Christian church. And I, was, I, was, I just thought she was amazing, and I was wrapped in the music and stuff. So what Michelle did, she contacted Hillsong Church, contacted Darlene Check, and said, can you please um, write Nathan, my, my fiancé who I'm marrying, a, a, a letter of encouragement? Well, she did that, and here it is. A letter from Darlene Check, tearing up even now. It says things like, I've heard about your passion for, dear Nathan, I've heard about your passion for Christ and your commitment to him from your fiance Michelle, and just wanted to write to encourage you at this crucial time in your lives. You have a wonderful and committed fiance who obviously loves and appreciates you very much, she wrote. And goes on and talks about the scriptures and, 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 and the last paragraph, allow the amazing creator of the universe to challenge and stretch you and be fueled to sow your life into the kingdom of God at any cost. I know that you will stand in awe of what God will do in your lives and in the lives of the people you impact. And, and I'm tearing up even now because when I got that present, I, that, that letter, I was just so impacted by that. Like, wow, wow, wow. I teared up and I was so very, very thankful. I hugged Michelle. I thanked Michelle. I've scanned that. It's on my computer. I've kept it forever. It's one of the, if not the best present I've ever, ever been given. I, I am and, and was so very, very thankful. Thank you again, Michelle. That was huge for me. Emotion, what is that today? Go on, the worship, playing on worship, all the emotions going on. How do you respond, friends, when someone does something really nice for you? How do you respond? 
when someone gives you a gift or they support you through a difficult situation, how do you respond when someone babysits your kids or cooks you a meal or pays for your dinner? Do you respond by saying thank you? Do you write them thank you notes? Do you buy them a gift in order to say thank you to what they've done for you? How do you communicate thankfulness? How do you communicate gratitude? But maybe on the other side, you've given a gift, you've been very supportive or you've done something wonderful for someone and there was no response. Now, maybe if you're a parent, you can relate to this, where you do all these wonderful things for your little children and you give up your time and you give up sleep and you use your money and you buy them all this stuff and sometimes they just don't appreciate it. They don't say thank you, and sometimes the reverse, they say things like, I hate you, or I don't like you anymore, or you're not my friend, or kids can do the opposite even though you treat them so well. Or maybe you've cooked someone a meal at home for the family and everyone eats it and then leaves the dinner table and no one says thanks. Anyone relate to this this morning? No one. One person, two people. How about you are, you've are vacuumed the house and mopped the floors and cleaned their bedrooms and then no one notices and no one says thanks? Can anyone relate to that this morning? A few people, not many. Wow, you guys are living in grateful and thankful homes. That's a really, really good thing. Well, friends, I want to take you to a, to, to a scripture this morning, a passage of scripture, which talks about a, a group of people who have an, who have an encounter with Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus is so incredible that it radically transforms their life forever. It impacted their life in in pretty much every way. And nine out of the ten people didn't come back to say thanks. They just went on about life. And one person came back to say thank you to Jesus. The passage is in Luke chapter 17. If you don't know the story already, it's it's a story of, of of the ten lepers. And it goes like this. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifting up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go, your faith, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you Well, friends, if you had leprosy at the time of Jesus, you were in a really, really bad way. Leprosy is where your skin, particularly your outer extremities, get raw. The skin gets raw and then starts to disintegrate and people people lose their noses, their ears, the things that that are on the edges of their body. At the time of Jesus, if you had leprosy, and because it was contagious, you couldn't live with your family and friends. You had to leave your community and go and live on your own and hopefully find some other people with a similar sort of skin condition and do life with them because you're contagious. And they didn't want the people, well, God didn't want his people for, for leprosy to run through all the people, so he separated them, although that makes sense. 
it would have been very, very difficult for that person with leprosy. In, in Leviticus chapter 13, we are, we are told about skin conditions. And, and, and in, in Leviticus, it says, if someone has a skin condition, they are to go to the priest, who was like the doctor and the magistrate. He was, the priest was the all things to all people at the time. If you had a skin condition, you were told to go to the priest. And the priest would assess you. And, and in Leviticus chapter 13, it talks about the different problems and if you had leprosy, the, the priest would then send you out of the camp. And here's the instruction from Le- Leviticus chapter 13, 45, 46. The person with such an infectious, infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkept. Cover the lower parts of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he, was the, as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Imagine being a leper at the time of Jesus. Whenever someone would come near you, you'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean. In other words, stay away from me. You could catch what I've got. Their hair was unkept. They wore torn clothes. So that people would know this person has an, has an issue, has a problem. Stay away from me. Imagine how they felt. The rejection. The isolation. They couldn't work, most likely, unless, it was about digging, unless they were digging holes. They couldn't pick fruit or relate to other people. Their standard of living would have been really, really low. And friends, this is who Jesus encounters in in Luke chapter 17 on his way into the village. He encounters these people in Acts chapter 17, and these people do the right thing. They they keep their distance as required in the law. And as they see Jesus, they cry out to him, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus just does this incredible thing. He says, go and show yourself to the priest, which is what they're required to do. We, we, we read from Leviticus chapter 13, Leviticus chapter 14. It says, if someone thinks that they're healed of this skin disease, they're then to, they're then to go to show themselves to the priest. So the priest could say, yes, you're healed or no, you're not. And if you're healed, you could go back into ordinary life. So Jesus says to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And in that moment, those lepers had a choice. They're not yet healed, but as they went... They were healed, so they take the step of faith. They, they, they take the step and go towards a priest, and as they head towards a priest into the town, each one of them is healed. Every single one of them is healed. And that would have been a massive, massive difference for these men. Being healed of leprosy would have meant you can return to your families. You can once again embrace your wife. You can once again cuddle your children. You can once again go and have meals with your family and friends. It means you could get a job and pay for your family so that your standard of living and your family's standard of living would increase. You would be able to do your hair. Ladies, imagine having unkept hair. You'd be able to do your hair and you'd be able to wear normal clothes and you would be accepted rather than unclean, unclean, stay away. You would be able to embrace people in the streets and shake hands and do high fives or whatever they did, safe elbows or whatever they did at the time of Jesus, safety hugs, whatever they did at the time of Jesus. They could be in community. Radical, radical, 
radical change Jesus made to their lives. Friends, when people encounter Jesus, God does incredible things in our lives. Friends, if, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're someone who've, who've, who's, who's committed their life to Jesus and you've walked with Jesus for some time, you will know of the many encounters that you've had with God. And when God and when Jesus, who is God, moves in your world, things change. Radical things happen. We did that survey back in July. And we asked this question. What is one area of your life that has changed in the... It should be a you're there, not a what you. What is one area of your life that has changed in the past 12 months as you've pursued the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers? That's our vision. Seeing people live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. We want to, we want to make sure that's happening. So we asked this question. What's one area of your life that's changed in the past 12 months? We sent this survey out to the church and, and these are some of the responses. Freedom from drinking alcohol all the time. This is what someone's written back. Freedom from drinking alcohol all the time. I used to feel like I can't cope a lot of the time before my relationship with God deepened. I found my life's purpose in serving God. I found my life's purpose in serving God. That could be as simple as smiling at strangers or helping people as much as I can. I believe God has something far greater for me and He's calling me closer to Him as I grow in my daily relationship with Him. That's someone's testimony from this church about what God is doing in their life this year. Another one. Help me maintain, maintain my sanity through hard moments. Another testimony. Sexual purity. Another testimony. My daily faith in God and being all in. Being all in. We're going to talk about that later. I've become closer to God and feel the fire in my heart. These are your testimonies, friends, of you encountering Jesus this year. Reinforcing who I am in Christ and dispelling the lies of the enemy. Feeling accepted, more confident in who I am in Christ. My life in general has changed. I've done things that I would not have been able to do otherwise. Freedom from the power of past trauma. How cool is that? Relaxed at work, confident to share Jesus with others. Leading others, leading other leaders is awesome. Prayer life, increased hope. Friends, these are the testimonies that that you have told us about what God has done in your life in the past 12 months. And as we look at this scripture from Luke chapter 17, um, verses 15 and 19, when, when these people encountered Jesus, look at verse 15, this is what happened. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus, giving thanks to him. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Friends, these people were so impacted by Jesus. Jesus changed their world so greatly that only one out of the ten came back to say thank you. No, I think I get that. I get that. These people are so blown away by by their change in their situation, that they can return to their families, that they can return to their friends, they can get jobs, they can dress differently. It affected their identity, the way they saw themselves. It affected their whole life being healed. I get it. They forgot to say thank you to Jesus. I get it. But Jesus talks about here the, the importance of doing that and, that and and that one guy who did, re, did respond, man, 
praise God for him. And, and that is the natural and that is the right response. When Jesus does things in our lives, when we encounter him and he changes things, the natural response is to say thank you. It's, it's gratitude. It's praise. It's, it's thanksgiving. Here's a question for today. How do you respond to what God has done in your life? How do you respond to what God has done in your life? We just read all those testimonies from people in this church about what Jesus has done in your life. How do you respond to what he's done? Maybe Jesus restored your marriage or he met you in a financial need or he healed you or he, cha- or he broke a mindset, he changed the mindset or he set you free from some oppression. And these are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. And our response should be praise and, and thanksgiving and, and sharing the testimony of what God has done. It should be these things. But all those things I've just shared do not compare with what Jesus has done for you through his death and his resurrection. When Jesus heals us, when he restores our marriages, when he gives us a financial miracle, financial breakthrough, they're all good things and we should be thankful for those things. But they do not compare to what Jesus has done for you and for me in his death and in his resurrection. They do not compare. When Jesus heals your body, praise God for that, and I've had a number of healings in my body, your body does well for a few more years until it gets older and breaks down and eventually goes into the ground or gets cremated. Yes? When Jesus restores your marriage... You are married for an, an, an hopefully many, many more, more years until one of you passes away. And Michelle and I have decided that we're going to pass away in our 90s in, in bed on the same night. All right? On the, and in our sleep. That's it. That's how it's going to go. Amen to that, anyone? Amen to that? It's the way to go, isn't it? That's how it's going to happen. But in your marriages, you're going to be married for a few more years and then one of you is going to pass. And if Jesus sets you free from some sort of oppression, some sort of wrong mindset, some sort of outside agent that's putting negative, demonic attack or whatever it is, Jesus sets you free from that. That's good for a few more years until you get into your 90s again and your body fails and then you go and into the ground or get cremated. But what Jesus did for you and me in his death and resurrection is not just short term, isn't just temporary, it is eternal. It is new life that he offers me and he offers you. When Jesus died on that cross, friends, he took, if you ask him to, if you let him, he took your sin, your shame, your wrongdoing, your stuff upon himself. And if you ask him to forgive you, he will say to you, you are forgiven. Your sin is over, it's done, it's finished. And in his resurrection... 
As Jesus was the first to rise from the dead, he offers us new life. So that when we believe in him, we start a new life. Now, that just doesn't last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It lasts eternity. And then when this body dies, our soul and spirit go on with God forever in eternity. When we come to Christ, He gives us a hope for the future. He gives us a direction in life. He shows us the way forward. He frees us from guilt. He frees us from shame. He gives us an eternal destiny. That is what He's done. Your healings are good. Your restored marriages are good. When Jesus freed you from oppression, that is good. But friends, that does not compare. That does not compare to what Jesus has done for you in His death and in His resurrection. You know, when Jesus heals us, we should say thank you. We should praise Him. What sort of response does it demand of our lives? What Christ has done in His death and resurrection. What sort of response does it demand from you, Kathy Riley? What sort of response does it demand from you, Stephen de Montfort? From Marcio, from Tracy, from Mark, from Bina, from David. Harvey, what sort of response does it demand from you? Knowing that Jesus has forgiven you from your sins, that he's given you a new life and that you're going to spend eternity with him, the greatest thing anyone could anyone could possibly do for you. What sort of response does, does it demand from you? In the scriptures, we have some people who try to Try to summarise the response. Paul writes in Romans 12, a really popular verse. We talk about it a lot in this church. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of what God has done in His death and His resurrection of His Son Jesus, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's all about dying to yourself and living for Him. Living a life that is holy, that is set apart and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Here, the Apostle Paul is saying the response to what Jesus has done is for us to give him our everything, to be all in, to don't make it about us and our flesh and about our desires, but make it about him and his desires for our life. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling You've received. Through his death and resurrection, God has called you to himself to be in relationship. Paul writes, to live a life worthy of that. What does that look like for you, friends? To live a life worthy of what Jesus has done for you. In Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ, the gospel of Christ. Conduct your life in a, what does it say? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. So what Christ has done for you, that your life looks like appreciation, thanksgiving because of what he's done. And finally, this is the Apostle Paul's response from Acts 20. He writes, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. This is the guy who understood Jesus and what he did for him. This is the guy who understood the death and the resurrection and the, and the difference that it made to his life. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. 
My only, my only, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Can you say that about your life this morning? I consider my life worth nothing to me, Lord. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. How do you respond? How do you respond to Jesus and what he's done for you in his death and resurrection? Are you all in? Dave talked about it during communion so well as well. Are you, is it, is it everything? Is, is, is following Jesus for you the number one, the priority, the, the everything? What Christ has done demands, demands from us our everything. It relates to the way we use our finances. It relates to the way we use our time. The amount of television we watch and what we watch. It relates to how we share Jesus with family and friends that don't know him. It relates to the way that we live. I'm going to talk about this in the next two weeks. It relates to our lifestyle and the way we speak and the way we treat people and the way we act. This, this is a life that I'm talking about. Is all in that every part is Christ-honoring, is Christ-thanking, is, 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 is a life of thanksgiving, thanksgiveness. Thanksgiveness? Thanksgiving, thanks for your help. Thankfulness, thanksgiving, they're the two words. Jesus, what he's done demands, demands our everything. Let's get really practical this morning. What's one thing in your life where you're not all in? Where's one area of your life where you go, yeah, God, I need, that needs to change? Father in heaven, I pray that we pray, God, that you would reveal to us that, that, that one area. Show us that area, God, that's not it's not what you want. And in this moment, church, right now, I encourage you to confess that as sin.
say, God, this is not right. Then tell him you're sorry. Ask him to forgive you. And then choose to live differently. So tell God what it is. Tell him you're sorry. And then choose to live differently. God, help me to live this way. Pray this just where you are. Just you and God. You and God. Pray that prayer. And friends, maybe you're here this morning and, and, you've, and, you've, and you've heard what Jesus has done and you have not yet made a decision to follow him. Today can be your day. If you can sense the Spirit of God touching your heart and you know you need to respond, today's your day. Today's the day and I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if you want to commit your life to Jesus, pray this prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward. Amen.